if we're conflict avoidant, so many subjects then become taboo, like, oh, we can't, we have to skirt around that, we can't talk about that, that in the end, we're not having proper contact. So you do get contact through conflict, you do get connection through conflict. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is unhealthy to avoid all conflict because then you diminish yourself. There's so much of yourself you're not communicating if you avoid conflict altogether. Philippa Perry is a psychotherapist. A lot of life really boils down to our relationships and the quality of those connections. But what happens when they start to break down and we find ourselves in conflict? This is the Liz Our Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. I'm Liz Earl, and I think you probably know by now that I am on a mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. And that, of course, includes our relationships. And, well, disagreements can take many forms. There's the inconsequential stuff that somehow builds into something that feels like the end of the world. And then there's this big stuff that often gets left unsaid for years. And I guess we all deal with conflict differently. Some will run away, some will want to stay and put up a big fight. I know for me, I find conflict really hard. (laughs) I'm trying to get better, but it's not something I grew up with and it's not something I feel comfortable with at all. So I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Well, as well as being a practicing psychotherapist, Philippa is an agony aunt for The Observer magazine, an author, a broadcaster, and also an artist. Her latest book is called The Book You Want Everyone You Love to Read, and it's packed full of wisdom and advice based on real-life scenarios for navigating our most important relationships. So whether you're at war with your partner, your friends, your colleagues, how best to navigate conflict healthily? Do you need to stop getting caught up in the facts and focus more on how you feel? And how do you recognise when it's actually not them? It's really you that's the problem. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Well, Philippa, welcome. I am so looking forward to this conversation and I suspect it's going to prompt a lot of introspection. I really want to focus on conflict and how to cope with it. But I think sometimes in order to move forward, we have to look back. And do you think that kind of our coping mechanisms sometimes develop in childhood and that if we kind of look back to that past, it might help us then better relate in relationships in the future as adults? Definitely. We pick up the usual dynamics we get into from our families of origin. And then, of course, we have, as well as that, 
our personal preferences for coping. And we each have a preferred way to cope. So some people are thinkers, first of all, some people are feelers, first of all, and some people are doers, first of all. And we tend to go into one of these three modes when we're in an emergency situation. We have our go-to method of coping. And then if two people have different ways of coping, say that you might be a doer and I might be a thinker, then we might clash on mm. how to cope with any particular problem. So it's quite interesting to work out whether you are a, a thinker, a feeler, or a doer. You know, what is your go-to mode when you're in a stressful situation? And what is the go-to mode of your adversary or colleague or whoever you're yeah. trying to thrash something out with? And once you understand that, it's a lot easier. We tend to have, if you think of it as three doors, we tend to have one door open, one door closed, and one door locked. And you can't go from the open door to the locked door. You have to go through the closed door. So if your open door is feeling and your locked door is doing, you can't go straight from feeling to doing. You have to go via thinking. Wow. And once you know that and you can see it in other people, conflicts can become a lot easier to sort through. Sure. Because you're going at them from different, you know, from different starting points, from different directions. That is so fascinating. So those three traits, are they something that's genetic, that's just inherently within <laughs> us, or are they learnt through our environment? Do we copy our parents? It's very difficult, and I don't think it's a very good idea to separate nature and nurture. We are always a blend of both. And to separate them, I think, is a bit of a false concept. It's, it's not helpful. Mm. Well, a lot of what we're going to be talking about here, navigating conflict, is about habits, I guess, and maybe breaking certain behavioural habits so that we can better navigate conflict? Do we fall into a, a certain pattern of, of response? You know, for example, if somebody is doing something that we don't agree with, or maybe accusing us of something, you know, our natural instinct is, is to respond quite robustly, rather than maybe sit down and unpick actually what's going on. Yeah, we love being right. <laughs> and the other thing we love is to react before we reflect. The other thing we do is we assume that when somebody does something or says something, it means the same as it would if we did it. Interesting. And it might not. Okay. So we quite often get the wrong end of the stick. What we do is that we you know, we take the information from the world and then we interpret it. We put our own spin on it. And that happens so quickly that we assume that our spin is the same as the, you know, unbiased information that's coming in. We think that when they said that they meant this without realizing that that is our spin on it. So if you slow things right down, you can see you take from the world and then you put your spin on it and then you give back to the world. So what you can do when you take from the world is ask them for more information about what they meant. For example, you know, when you left the room yesterday, the door slammed behind you. Did you slam it or was it a gust of wind? Mm. Because if we 
just assume that they slammed the door <laughs> on us and they were rude and they were disrespecting us. We, we, we can go down a, a spiral while, when neither of us really knows what the other is talking about or means. So we just go into me good, you bad. And from that position, we can't really resolve anything. Mm. So interesting. And I think let's take a a dive into conflict then. And all of this can relate, I think, to many types of relationships, whether they're romantic ones, our family, our friends, our colleagues. You know, is conflict something that we should look to avoid before it even comes up? Is it inevitable? Can it ever be a positive thing? I think it's always a positive thing, really, because what we're always doing is educating the other as to who we are. And if we're conflict avoidant, so many subjects then become taboo. Mm. Like, oh, we can't, we have to skirt around that. We can't talk about that. That in the end, we're not having proper contact. So you do get contact through conflict. You do get connection through conflict. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a bad thing if it's the only way you can get connection is through conflict. And some families are like that. Yes. You know, they're very rowdy yes. when you go in there, everybody's shouting. They're perfectly happy with it because that's the way they normally get connection. It is unhealthy to avoid all conflict because then you diminish yourself. There's so much of yourself you're not communicating if you avoid conflict altogether. So can avoiding conflict build up then as much ill feeling within us as arguing? course. I mean, we're really good at resentment. <laughs> we are. <laughs> um, human beings can really do that very, very well. But there's a way of bringing up conflict that's a, a useful way to do it. For a start, you don't make it about the other person, you make it about you. Because when you say you want to give somebody a complaint, you're just telling them about you. You're just saying, I don't like it when you blow your nose at the table or whatever it is. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I would prefer it if you went outside to blow your nose. You you might say that if you're, I don't know, some cultures don't like people blowing mm-hmm. their nose in public. So the Chinese love blowing their nose in public <laughs> and the Japanese hate it. So, you know, all these things are cultural as well, yeah. but that's, that's a by the by. You don't go, you're disgusting yes. for blowing your nose. Got it. So you avoid you statements and you make I statements. So, you know, I don't like it when you wake me up when you come in at midnight. Mm-hmm. Could you please be a bit quieter because I don't like being woken up? Rather than you are such a noisy, selfish right. person for slamming the door and shouting down your phone at midnight. Yes. So you don't define the other you define yourself and then it's much easier for the other person to hear it. I love that. So you, you say what the problem is and then you say how it makes you feel. Mm -hmm. Don't miss out feelings Mm -hmm. because if we go down the fact route, we can play a game, which I call fact tennis, (laughs) which is ridiculous, (laughs) which is when, for for example, suppose you're two people getting ready to go out for the evening and you're an early person and they tend to be a late person. So you go, you're always late. Will you hurry up? I hate keeping people waiting. Come on. And th- then that person feels attacked and goes, there's plenty of time. You always exaggerate. You know, the tube only takes this amount of time or whatever it is. And then the other person goes, yes, but there's been tube disruption lately. We might have to get the bus. And 
back and forth. You can go fact, 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 back and forth until the person with the most facts wins. (laughs) But that's at the expense of their friend, colleague or lover. And that's not what you want, really. So it's much better if you put feelings in it, such as I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I know you hate being early for things, but I'm so much more comfortable if we're five minutes early and walk around the block for a bit Mm. than if we keep people waiting. Can you humor me on this? That's so much easier to hear than you are always late. If you can feel for each other, it's so much better. It's one of my phrases, feel with, don't deal with. If you can feel with each other, you're so much more likely to come to a compromise rather than being right at the other person's expense. So what's the ultimate goal then? Is there one with conflict? Is it to agree or is it to respectfully agree to disagree? I think the ultimate goal is always connection. That is to say, even if you disagree, that emotionally you're kind of on the same page. Mm -hmm. What we want is what Martin Buber calls moments of inclusion, when you really get and understand the other person. That doesn't mean to say you capitulate or that you agree with them, but it means you get them, you understand them. So when you get and understand each other, which is the ultimate goal, of course, then you will be able to come to a solution Mm. that, is okay for both of you, even if it's your, your both of your second choices or whatever it is. Because the, the goal is to connect, to understand and emotionally resonate with the other person, to feel for each other. So does it not matter then if the way that you naturally argue perhaps is polar opposite of how the other person that you're arguing with actually needs to argue? You know, does it, does it matter that you're not really on the same page? You can still get that connection and that resolution and that that connection that you talk about. Yeah, you don't both have to slow it right down. If one of you slows it right down, it will slow right down. So if you're throwing facts about and throwing feelings about, and um, if you, you can slow it right down rather than get into this defensive shouting mood, if you repeat back everything your adversary is saying. So I see you feel it really doesn't matter if we're late. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it really doesn't matter if we're late. Okay. So of course, if it really doesn't matter if we're late, it doesn't really matter what time we start. Yeah. (laughs) So when you repeat Mm -hmm. back what the other person feels, they don't have to shout back at you. Then you go, well, I can understand then why you want to leave at 10 past and not quarter two. However... (laughs) I think that's because you don't mind when other people are late for you. So, of course, you don't think it doesn't matter because you think everybody thinks the same as you. But for me, who was, as a child, always left the last child at nursery and I never knew whether my parents were going to come or not, Mm. if people are late for me, I get incredibly anxious. And I understand if I'm late for other people, they might not get Mm -hmm. anxious But if they do, it then makes me doubly anxious. So you just slow it all down so you both understand rather than just keep yelling as to why quarter two or ten past are the best times to leave. It's funny, isn't it? You know, we often admire different qualities in others. You know, we can be envious even of characteristics that we don't have. But then in conflict, 
we can maybe get frustrated that others don't think the same way that we do. So I guess understanding how their mind is working becomes just as exasperating as the issue we're actually arguing about. I think it's it's very interesting as well, because what attracts us to people in the first place, either as lovers or as friends, is usually because they have qualities that we'd quite like in ourselves that we want. And yet when things come to a head, we find those very qualities that attracted us in the first place frustrate us when we're trying to work through something. How far then do you think we should be willing to compromise our instinctive way of coping with conflict in order to appease the situation? You know, is somebody who's emotionally intelligent enough to see what the other person needs, but then does resentment perhaps start to build if it's always the same person that feels that they're compromising? Well, I think a good rule of thumb for friendships and lovers is that you know you've got a good friend because of how you feel when you're with them. We like people because we like our emotions that we experience when we're with them. So those emotions make a friendship worth it or not worth it. And sometimes, so obviously, if you always feel frustrated around someone or always feel angry and the good times don't make up for the bad times, then it's okay to break up with people. Mm. Mm. But if you always are breaking up with people, if it's always just your pattern to break up with people and you have a very high turnover of lovers or friends, then maybe it's time to look at your own patterns of how these things are going. But if it just happens once because someone is too frustrating to be with, then, you know, life is short. Don't don't waste too much time on someone. (laughs) Well, let's pause here a moment, Philippa, but we'll come back in just a sec to talk, amongst other things, about what to do when we know full well that we're in the wrong. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I found it really interesting. You say in your book that when people come to therapy, they quite often want to talk about other people, but you're quick to tell them that we don't really have any control over other people, only our own actions and our behaviours. But I wonder, is it much easier said than done for us to each of us take responsibility for our own role here in conflict? Oh, it's terribly difficult. It's much more fun to blame the other person. (laughs) And not only in conflict, but how we're made to feel all the time. We think we are made to feel things rather than why am I letting this person make me feel like this? Mm. It's very interesting to change the why question to the how question, but it feels uninteresting. All the charges, why does he behave like that? Why does she do this? Why are we always going around in circles with that? But It's much more useful if we ask ourselves, how come I allow myself to be sucked into this? Because then we give ourselves the responsibility. Then we're not a victim and then we can do something about it. How am I behaving that this situation always happens to me? Say, for example, you always find yourself being ghosted after the third date. If you go, why does this happen? You can say, oh, because all men are dicks. You can make up a story. And if you make up that story, then there's nothing you can do about it because all men are dicks. But if you go, how am I behaving that this is always happening to me? And then you can look at your traits and you go, well, I'm a people pleaser, which is surely a good thing because I'm always being really accommodating. And then a friend might give you feedback and say, when you over people please, there's no one there for me to have a relationship with. It frustrates me very much when I ask you where we're going to eat and you say, wherever you want to, because I don't know what you want. And I find that very frustrating. It's like no one's at home. People pleasing is, I'm going off on a tangent now, but people pleasing is is one of the reasons why people do get ghosted a lot because the character isn't there. By not showing your boundaries, by not showing your limits, by not saying who you are, you're you're just a sort of blank slate. Yes. Yes. Like a non-person with no personality. Yeah. So that is the an example of the sort of thing you can change if, say, you're always being ghosted. I'm not saying ghosting is good behaviour. It's not. I've, I've but, been ghosted. Yeah. It's not nice. Oh, no. awful. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make you feel good. And I don't, th- I don't think I'm a people pleaser particularly. So. <laughs> I'm not saying it's always somebody's fault when they are ghosted either. Yeah. I'm just saying if yeah. a pattern happens again and again and again, it's really good to say, how am I contributing to this situation? I think it's really interesting looking at those other emotions that come into relationships. A few months ago now, we had fellow psychotherapist James 
James Earl on the show. And he was talking about how anger isn't really an emotion. It's a behavior, a behavior that we display when we're actually sad or frustrated or fearful, maybe confused. And I remember in my own relationship with my now ex-husband, you know, there was a lot of conflict and that very quickly blew up into anger. So how do you view anger within a a personal relationship? Well, I disagree with James here. I think Mm. anger, fury, frustration is an emotion and it's a problem only when we act out on our anger. If you think of anger having a dial from naught to 10, we tend to think of anger as just being number 10. It isn't. It's all those numbers in between. So, f- for example, it might be a good idea if, you, if you're too frightened of anger and think you've only got naught or, or 10 to experiment with that dial and try a number one, see what that feels. I always say the first small brick of anger is the word no. So it's quite good if you, instead of waiting for something just to take you past your limit, when you feel yourself approaching a limit is to put down a boundary. My, my favorite one is when it's, when it's putting children to bed. We put children to bed, not for their sake, but for ours. Yes. So <laughs> it's, it's sort of like you're going to bed at half past seven because if you stay up till eight o'clock and I miss my program, I'm going to get really angry and resentful and tired and that's not going to serve either of us. So we're going to have a lovely story at, at seven o'clock or, and then we're going to go to bed at half past seven because if you, you stay up any longer than that, I'm probably going to lose my temper. And you think that, that you, you, you can actually explain that to a child and that's better than saying you need to be in bed at half past seven because otherwise you're going to get overtired. It's not the child that's going to get overtired, it's the adult. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's it's good not to put it on the child. It's it's the same thing. It's like define yourself and not the other person, even if that other person is only eight years old. My favorite example of this is when you're at the playground, you go, we're going in five minutes because my feet have gone numb and I'm bored. <laughs> Um, So I'm giving you a five minute warning, four minute warning, three minute warning, two minute warning. And then they probably can't wait any longer and they let you go. Um, (laughs) But if you say we're going in five minutes because it's time for your lunch, the child will probably say I'm not hungry, quite truthfully. And then you just get into a a fact tennis Uh, argument that's useless, which is why you have to put yourself in the equation. And people say, but doesn't that sound really selfish? I go, well, Mm. you're being really selfish anyway, so don't pretend you're not being, because that's (laughs) crazy making. (laughs) That is so true. So with (laughs) anger, just put the boundary down before you reach your limit, and then you won't go there. And if you say, well, how can you put a boundary down about my, my husband staying out every night and coming home drunk? Well, you can. You can go, if this happens anymore, I'm going to change the locks. Right. <laughs> Get an injunction against you and do and follow through. Oh, wow. There's always, yeah. you don't have to scream before you get an, a court injunction. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's an extreme sure. um, example, but, you, know, but there, you can always walk away. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting that that scale of, of naught to 10, I'd never really thought about it. I think 
you know, I was married to somebody who got angry very quickly. So literally did go from naught to 10. And that is quite a scary place to be. But... And then you go naught to 10. In response to that, you can go naught to 10, either imploding or exploding. Well, I, I imploded. Yeah. And I think in looking yeah. back for me historically, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. My parents, I have never heard them argue. They are in their mid eighties. Oh, yeah, you didn't they know got how to married do it. in their twenties. I have no idea what an argue, what a functioning argument looks like. Oh, and right. any form of conflict or even a sort of slightly, you know, narked word sends me into panic because that's I've I've no reference for that at all. Yeah, and so when you go from nothing to ten it's 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 really frightening. Whereas maybe your ex was brought up in a, a household where you shout and it's over. Yes. But for you, you shout and you're shaking for a week. D- so it's not over because you're yeah. not, yeah. And he d- didn't ever really sort of understand how it affected me because he would blow like a volcano and then it would all be over. And, you know, like half an hour later, he'd be saying, yeah, but, you know, what's what's your problem? And it's like, I'm I'm actually still physically shaking. <laughs> And it's going to take yeah, me a while to come because down you, from that. Sh- shouting is actually experienced by children and some other people as, um, and I exp- I'm, 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 I'm more on your scale than your ex's scale, like violence. Mm. It feels like, mm. it feels like violence. Yes. It's shocking. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it feels like a shocking attack. Yeah. So what you can do in that situation is if you start to shout, I'm going to leave the room. I'm not going to listen to you shouting. When you can tell me what you want without shouting, then I can hear it. I cannot hear what you're saying. I can only hear the shouting. And you say that at a time when you're not shouting so you can get the whole sentence out. (laughs) And then when they next shout, you leave the room. I cannot hear you if you're shouting. Yes. Because all you hear is imminent attack and, and all the sirens going off in your head. So that's your limit. You can't take that. And if you do take that, you implode. You don't want to do that. So it's it's time to be firm and, and say, you know, when you shout, I feel attacked. I can't hear what you're saying. I only hear the, the volume. So when you start shouting, I will leave the room. I will not respond to shouting. I cannot engage with shouting. And that's your limit. And if it carries on, I mean, I expect you leave the room permanently as you did. I did, yeah. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? When somebody picks up on a fault, there seems to be kind of quite a lot of shame and embarrassment almost. And, you know, we we feel attacked. So if somebody was coming at me and saying, I really don't like it when you do this because, you know, maybe he would say, she gives me the silent treatment, you know, and and I don't like that. And I, I feel attacked by that. Is there an easy way to kind of reconcile that two people can be polar opposite and yet hopefully still have a successful relationship, particularly with conflict? I'm not giving you the silent treatment. I'm just not talking to you until your voice is lowered Mm. and I don't feel frightened. Define yourself and not the other person. I mean, I can't say that often enough. Any complaint we make about another person is information about ourselves. So phrase it like that. Mm-hmm. What about conflict then when we know actually full well that we're in the wrong? <laughs> you know, how easy can we make it to, to concede on that one? This is interesting because I decided I wouldn't be like my parents when I was became a parent because my parents were always, always right about absolutely everything, which meant that sometimes 
I was falsely put into the wrong. So I decided I wouldn't be like that. So I would apologize to my daughter when I got something wrong. So I would say something like, oh, sorry, um, I was short with you. I, I was in a hurry and I, I, I didn't respect you like I should have done. And, you know, she didn't really seem to take much notice of my apologies. And then one day she said to me when she was about four years old, but she's quite young yeah, for this sort yeah. of statement. She said, really sorry, I was grumpy in the car, mum. I'm hungry. I, I was hungry. I'm better now. Amazing. And I just thought, wow. So that's so much. When we say to our children, you apologize right now, we shame them and that feels annihilating. However, when we give the example, the role model of apologizing, apologizing isn't muddled up with shame. That's the trouble. That's, right. the, that's why apologizing and saying my bad feels so awful because of the way we were brought up. It's muddled with shame. So if we can re-educate ourselves and say, it's fine to make mistakes, it's fine to misunderstand, it's fine to get things wrong. Because of course, when you say it out loud, of course we get things wrong the whole time. And so when we realize when we're wrong, separate being wrong from being ashamed and, you know, uh, humiliated and, and annihilated with humiliation. So we can say, um, I should have put a boundary down earlier. I reached the end of my tether and I shouldn't have shouted at you and I'm really sorry. It's fine. It's fine to be wrong. That's what we've got to remember. It's no shame in being Everybody wrong. Everybody gets things wrong. I mean, that's part of being It's no shame human. not to be perfect. And the trouble is when we have a fear of failure is that we procrastinate doing the task in the first place because we're so frightened of not getting it 100% absolutely right. The, the courage to fail is the same courage that we need to succeed. It's exactly the same. So I think we should embrace failure and getting things wrong a little bit more. Otherwise, we'll never do anything. <laughs> we'll never get started. We'll start. Lastly, then, obviously, we've talked a lot about what we say and perhaps when we say it. But do we also need to give a thought to how we're saying it? You know, is it you say slow everything right down? Is that actually a physicality of slowing our speech, lowering our voice, just kind of taking a breath? Is there some kind of practical guidance here? Yeah, I think you're right about that. I hadn't actually thought of it like that, but I think that is, is, is part of it. But when we slow an argument right down and repeat back what we've heard, the other thing it does, which we might not like, but it does, is it allows us to see how everything feels from the other person's point of view a little bit more. And it makes us a little less rigid. Super interesting. Thank you so, so much. Um, really insightful. I'm going to have to go away and listen to this again, I think, and, and make some notes. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, Philippa, fascinating. And as I said, I'm definitely going to be re-listening to this one myself. Thank you so much for your time. How interesting that we can reframe conflict in such a simple and clever way. And actually, we did touch on that episode that we recorded previously on anger with James Earl. If you haven't already, that's probably a good one to go and listen to right after this. And of course, if you'd like to listen to that, 
and all the other episodes that we've recorded ad-free, you can now subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts for a small monthly fee and you get early access to the new episodes as well. Well, I wonder how you empty nesters have been getting on in the last month or two. That's another big milestone in our relationships, isn't it? The kids leaving home. So many of you actually have been in touch having listened to the episode with the brilliant Lorraine Candy on just that. Lorde wrote on Instagram that it was, quote, a really tough time. My three girls were all away and it was like I was grieving. I was so lonely, just so excited to see them back at the weekends. But now after a few years, two of them are back again, which is lovely. Yeah, I know that. I've got boomerang kids too and it is really good. Uh, Val says that her middle child has gone off to uni, so that will be two of them flown the nest. It's a roller coaster of feelings. Yeah, I feel your pain, Val. I really do. Although for balance, Mary's been in touch to say, I'm struggling because they keep coming back. Yeah, I guess that's the other side of it, isn't it, Mary? Don't worry. I'm sure they'll go one day. Well, if you have a story to share, do come and find us on Instagram. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. At Lizelle Wellbeing, that's the magazine team and me. And you can also find me personally. I am at Liz Earl Me. Always look forward to chatting in the comments. Well, until the next time we chat here, go very well. Goodbye. The Liz Earl Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earl, and is produced by Nushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith.